At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, did the Vance Joseph regime, the Vance Joseph era, was that it? I mean, did he punctuate his his uh, tenure in Denver with such a whimper as we saw against the Cleveland Browns on Saturday night? Oh, he did. And if it wasn't sealed already, that just sealed Elway's decision to fire Vance Joseph at season's end. He won't be fired tomorrow or Monday morning, but a loss like that, which single-handedly falls on Vance Joseph's shoulders, as so many other losses have, definitely for me. I mean, there's no way an 8-8 eight eight season warrants bringing him back for a third year. You lose two consecutive games to subpar competition. I mean, the Denver Broncos have not lost a game to the Cleveland Browns since 1990. What, what year were you born, Zach? 89. So... <laughs> Almost I was the old. entire time that Zach has been on the face <laughs> of the earth, the Broncos have not lost to the Cleveland Browns. I mean, it's an ignominious feat. Now, you know, let's face it. The Browns, it's not like they played a perfect game, but they got a little juice. They got a little mojo going. And most importantly, they have something the Broncos covet and wish they had, <clears throat> and especially, specifically, Baker Mayfield. But, you oh, know, yeah. figuratively, they wish they had a franchise quarterback. And that's what makes the difference, man. Like, Baker Mayfield was not in the zone, especially in the first half of this game. He had that one phenomenal pass for the touchdown on their opening drive. And then he was pretty much crap the rest of the first half. But in the second half, when his team really needed him to make plays, he he found a way to get stuff done. And so that's what the Broncos are missing. Like, Case Keenum... He's, I mean, he bumped up against his ceiling, whatever it was, Zach, week three on the road in Baltimore. Like, mm-hmm. that was him going, you know, and sometimes it, you have to come up against your ceiling and and feel it and, and feel that resistance in order to bust through it, right? Get to that next level. Case Keenum's been buttoned up against it. He can't break through. He is a high-quality backup quarterback in the NFL that if your team is having to rely on him as the starter for anything more than a two- or three-game stretch – you're in troubled waters, my friend. He is what he is at this point, and he shows it every week. And when someone shows you something, you have to believe him. And what Case Keenum showed us this season, for the most part, is that he's, like you said, a, a subpar starting quarterback or an average to good backup in the NFL. He is what he is. He is not a franchise quarterback. He is not going to be the, the Broncos quarterback for the next 10 years. He's on a two-year contract for a reason. Even if he comes back next year, it should be over for him. I mean, he was a journeyman for a reason. He shows it every single week. Those two picks were on him. Bad decisions, bad throws. Uh, the Broncos lose when he commits turnovers. You know, no breaking news there. I mean, Baker Mayfield, in one game, he has that it factor. He showed that spark. He showed more than Keenum, to me, has shown all season, even though Keenum's been pretty clutch. Um, I wanted Mayfield so, so badly in the draft. 
and I knew there was not much of a possibility of that happening, but he was by far my favorite quarterback in this class. And, you know, like you said, if the Broncos had him, I mean, they'd be much, much better off. No question there. Well, and now the Broncos, as great as Bradley Chubb has been, and, you know, one of the themes of the content we were publishing throughout this whole week leading up to the game, one of the themes of the week on the website was the fact that, you know, this is one of the most un heralded unappreciated 12 sack rookie seasons in NFL history as far as Bradley Chubb in terms of national conversation he's not getting a lot of love around the league and it but he's been great right he's been a phenomenal phenomenal piece for the Denver Broncos defense but no it doesn't matter how good he is because an outside linebacker at a certain point even if he's getting 12 to 15 sacks a season maxes out his overall value in terms of how far he can move the needle overall for your team Without the quarterback, you don't get that far. And even if you look at 2015, people go, well, you only poke a hole in your theory, Jensen, because without Von Miller, the Broncos don't win the Super Bowl in 2015. That's what a, you know an elite edge rusher can do for a team. And you're halfway there. You're halfway right. I mean, Von Miller was one of the deciding factors, clearly. I mean, he has, his playoff run that year was phenomenal. I mean, one of the all-time great defensive performances in playoff history. But without Peyton Manning, I'll, I'm telling you right now, the Broncos don't beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, and they don't win the Super Bowl. So that's part of the equation. And the first thing's first. You have to have the quarterback. And the reason I'm going on this little tangent, Zach, and maybe it's a conversation for another time, is the Broncos had an opportunity to get a franchise-caliber quarterback in the draft in Josh Rosen at pick five. You, I would even take Josh Allen right now, dude. I mean, right, that's, how, yeah. that's how dire things are at the quarterback level because – you know, after they passed, it was like, okay, I wanted him to take Rosen. They pass on the quarterbacks and go Chubb. And it's like, well, you know, you just paid $36 million to a quarterback who won 11 games in a playoff game last year. Plus, you got Chad Kelly. But mm. from the time Case Keenum started butting up against his ceiling and then only to see Chad Kelly get arrested and cut, I mean, now it's like the writing on the wall is seriously depressing in terms of the ripple effect, you know, the butterfly yeah. effect of the Broncos choosing to pass on Rosen or Heck, I mean, even Lamar Jackson's been lighting it up. Mm, yeah, that's true. And they say the four toughest things in the NFL to find are a quarterback, uh, a left tackle, a cornerback, and an edge rusher. But by far, number one on that list is quarterback. It's the sport's most important position. You live and die by that guy. And Bradley Chubb is a phenomenal player. And paired with Von Miller, they're going to be a dynamic pass rushing duo for many years. And he might even be a Hall of Famer, a perennial pro bowler. But He's still not a quarterback, and as good as he is, he never will be. And he, that that level of importance will always fall below that position. And some of the sting will be taken out of it if they had, like you said, a young talent on the roster. Now it's so depressing. I mean, who do you have? Kevin Hogan and Garrett Grayson on the practice squad, yeah. and you're being excited because the Broncos brought in a CFL MVP quarterback. I mean, that when that stirs up <laughs> excitement, it really shows the level of, of of sadness within the quarterback position for the Broncos. So, you know, as much as I love Chubb, I really, really wanted a quarterback, and specifically, I wanted Baker Mayfield. And tonight, he showed me why. No doubt, he was he was good in in the key moments is when he showed out. And one thing I really liked about Baker Mayfield watching him play tonight was at the end of every play, man, even if it was a run play, he was running down the field and helping his guys get up off the pile. Yes. Like that's yep. a guy very engaged, very – that's why his teammates, man, they run through a, a wall for a guy like that. And Keenum, you know what, he brings an enthusiasm and he does bring an energy, but he doesn't back it up in terms of moving the needle in the win column. One of the reasons why 
the Browns are head over heels as far as the locker room for Baker Mayfield is ever since the teams had to turn to him, the tide has turned. You know, their fortunes have mm-hmm. turned, and and when you're seeing that happen, and you got it, you you get behind the guy that's producing the results, and so yeah, the Broncos are missing the keystone cornerstone positions. One in which I am now confident. I'm going out on a limb here. Consider this maybe a hot take. I am confident now that the Broncos have one of those cornerstones filled, and that is the left tackle position because Garrett mm. Bowles completely shut down Miles Garrett tonight, and it really punctuated a performance over the last quarter of the season in which Garrett Bowles has been very, very good as the blindside protector. And then, you know, the Broncos have struggled the last two weeks to run the ball. You can't pin that on your left tackle. He's not the point. He's not the impetus for determining whether or not a run game is going to succeed or fail. He does his job. We know how good of a road grader he is as a left tackle. Very physical, bully mentality as a run blocker. And as a pass blocker, he seems something's finally clicked, Zach. So, And, you know, maybe that's another topic for a conversation. I think probably what our listeners want to hear and talk about most is just the ramifications of this game, this loss, which drops the Broncos to 6-8 and eight on the season and virtually eliminates. I mean, we said that last week's loss to the Niners really put a dent in their playoff hopes. This, I mean, they're not mathematically eliminated yet, but they might as well be. Like, that that was it for the Broncos. And we're going to talk about this game, but, but Zach, I mean, at, at the end of this thing, Vance Joseph once again made some really, really questionable decisions. And probably the one that's going to haunt him the most when he goes to sleep at night hangs up his cap, turns in, is that decision to kick a field goal on the inside, whatever it was, the Browns' five-yard line. Instead of Mm -hmm. going for it on fourth down for a touchdown, he decides to kick the field goal, and two plays later, you know, you got Nick Chubb rumbling for 40 yards and flipping the field. That take on Bowles is almost as hot as Vance's seat. Almost. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I've said it for a long time. You've said it for a long time. People on Twitter and everyone else, Facebook, they've said it for a long time. Vance is so bad with in-game management, whether it's challenging personnel, play calling, executing. He proves it week in and week out. I I mean, to not go forward in certain situations, to uh, play to lose pretty much. And when you play to lose in the NFL, what do you do? You lose and the Broncos lost. You go for the points. I, I mean, show some aggression. It, it's hypocritical to me that he's going to call out Case Keenum for not being aggressive enough when he does not aggressive on the sidelines when it comes down to him. And, of course, he's the first one to defer any sort of accountability or responsibility. He pretty much pinned the loss on the defense today instead of him for the second week in a row. Yeah. So uh, his in-game management is absolutely brutal. I, I really happen to think it's the worst in the NFL. I mean, you can at least understand the psychology when a team is winning and they play not to lose. That was quintessential John Fox, right? Broncos fans can think back to game after game, including the Ravens' loss in the divisional round of the playoffs that year in 2012 when the Broncos should have gone on to the Super Bowl, frankly, that how good that team was. John Fox played not to lose oftentimes in key moments, but the, the thing that defined playing not to lose is when you actually have a lead. Vance Joseph made a decision in this game playing not to lose while he was still losing. I mean, the Broncos were down. <laughs> and he's going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision not to lose. And you say, well, you know, if you're – if, I mean, it's just one of those situations where Vance Joseph, you know, as he was making those decisions each time, he's under such enormous levels of scrutiny that it's like you have to make the right decision. And in that situation with the game on the line, I mean, you saw the Browns, especially in the fourth quarter, playing really loose, playing very confident, pushing the envelope – 
And, I mean, what do they have to lose? Even if they win this game, which they did, but before this thing was decided, even if they win, they knew that their playoff, you know, their hopes were, they're, they're still alive, but they still would need a lot of help to get in. So they're playing loose. It shouldn't have been any different for the Denver Broncos, for Vance Joseph, because even if the Broncos win this game, you know, they still need help from three or four teams ahead of them to, to right. get back into the playoff conversation. So it's just one of those things where you have to question who we know it's Mitch Tanney is the guy in his ear, the analytics guy running the numbers, doing the odds, doing the math, doing all this stuff, helping Vance Joseph to make these decisions. But I think at the end of the day, it's Vance Joseph who is just really struggling in key moments of games to make the right decision. It's just a, a situational awareness issue in which he is clearly falling short of the mark and you know this one's really gonna gonna count against him in terms of the Broncos evaluating his body of work well maybe playing to lose was the wrong term I guess you're right it's only when you have a lead pretty much it's just not showing those those cashews not letting them drop it's it's just playing scared and playing cowardly I don't like it I think you're 100% right though it's you're right on the you're hitting the nail on the head it is that playing not to lose mentality in the mentality, exactly. And maybe not the actual, you know, demonstration of it, but the mentality. And, and that's, it stems from the head coach. And like you said, for the second week in a row, the Broncos were playing tight. And, and for the second week in a row, the opponent wanted this game more. They showed more passion from the opening whistle, more fire. They have a more blustery head coach in Greg Williams. And the team often reflects its leadership. And if you look at Vance Joseph, that's their leadership. And what do you see from him on the sideline? You see deer in the headlights. You see indecision. Uh, you see someone who has no idea what they're doing because they don't. And that st- and that trickles down to the rest of the team. And when you have so many veteran players that are not involved right now, Chris Harris Jr., Emmanuel Sanders, and you're alienating Von Miller, it, it doesn't set a good culture in the locker room. So I hate to place all the blame on Vance Joseph because I seem like I do it every single week. But what's coming to light is that the Broncos have the players to win. They certainly do not have the coaching to win. No. Well, and that's the issue is, you know, on one hand, you can't fault Vance Joseph for the Broncos giving up a 40-yard run to Nick Chubb in the clutch, you know, completely flipping field position and virtually guaranteeing that Case Keenan was not going to be able to bring the Broncos back. I mean, that was the that was really the death knell. I mean, Vance Joseph's decision to kick a field goal there got him about halfway there and then Nick Chubb's rush I mean, that was on the defense, and he ran it right Mm -hmm. at his cousin. His cousin had him dead to rights, dude, at that hole, and he just didn't wrap him up. That was on Bradley Chubb. So it it does take two to tango in the sense that, you know, the coaching fell short today, as did the execution in so many key moments. But the thing you got to remember is when a team suffers loss after loss after loss from a personnel perspective, when the injury bug is just the toll is mounting, I mean, the body count is just piling up, piling up. That's when you have to really be able to lean on scheme, coaching decisions, you know, in-game awareness as far as situations. That's what makes the difference ultimately for teams who are able to survive. Because, look, every team in the NFL right now is feeling the burn from the injury bug. You're in December. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you, the, it's a war of attrition, the NFL season, and every team is feeling it. The teams who are still relevant, the teams who are still winning and finding a way to push for the playoffs – they're making a difference because they're 
there isn't a disconnect between the coaching and the players. Notwithstanding whatever's happening with the injury bug, the coaching is still helping to bridge the gap and the players are still responding to the message. I was surprised, Zach, frankly, to see the intensity with which the Broncos played tonight because some of the things I had heard uh, from sources around the league was that the Broncos, after Vance Joseph and Joe Woods, frankly, too, threw all the players under the bus, didn't take any accountability or ownership for that catastrophic loss and debacle in San Francisco, that these players were fed up and really had turned off in terms of tuning out the message from Vance Joseph. I was kind of surprised to see how much fight they had left in them. And I think, honestly... That's more of a testament, Zach, to the veteran leadership left out on the field, exemplified by Vaughn Miller, more than it is, say, Vance Joseph. A thousand percent. I fully agree with that. They're not playing for their coach. They, they, they you know, they stepped up for him last year and tried to save him, and they did. I, but this year, I think they know that he's gone, and they're kind of just playing for their own futures right now. So I fully agree with that. It's a still a very prideful locker room. Um, a very ego-driven locker room, even with some of the stars out of the picture. A lot of big personalities in there. So I think they're rallying for each other. And they had some fight in them. It, it wasn't enough. They started the game a little slow, just like last week. But they responded in the second half, and they came up short. And I fully believe that. And like you, I, I agree. Listen, listen. Vance is not 100% to blame. The injury certainly played a part. Uh, the player's execution certainly played a part. But the majority of the blame does fall on his shoulders. And the difference in today's game, quite literally, was Vance Joseph and his inability or indecision to make calls in crucial situations. Yeah. You can't get around it. You can't get around it. I mean, it's when, you're, when your head coach is one of the reasons and your coaching in general – are one of the reasons why your team is losing games they should be winning. I mean, it's it's one of those situations where you got to take a hard look in the mirror and make some tough decisions, and that's what's going to happen for John Elway. He's going to have to admit defeat on yet another quintessential post-Super Bowl 50 decision to hire Vance Joseph when he could have got Kyle Shanahan, when he could have hired Dave Tobe, when you had names out there like Sean McVay. I mean, that that's what... John Elway passed on to hire Vance Joseph. But we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about coaching ramifications here in just a minute. What I want to talk about real quick, I want to run through some of the numbers from this game that really stick out to me. And the first thing I want to touch on just overall is Case Keenum because this was another game in which the opponent stacked the box to stop Philip Lindsay successfully. Philip Lindsay rushed 14 times for 24 yards. He has now gone two consecutive weeks within well within striking distance of that thousand yard rushing mark and has been completely shut down and i think one of the ways one of the reasons for that is the is the way the broncos have been using him he is as electric and good as he is as a running back he is not meant to be the guy that early on in games takes the bruising on first and second down he's they the model that they had with royce freeman early on where he was that first and second down bruiser. And then once you get into the flow of the game, you start sprinkling Philip Lindsay in with carries. He's not the guy. He, he just doesn't have the power at the point of attack to serve as that, that tip of the spear, so to speak. I think that's one of the reasons why. And also just the fact that opposing teams, Zach, are selling out. They're stacking the box. They're playing that press man. The Browns were doing it again tonight, just like the Niners did. And until Case Keenum makes an opponent pay for selling out that way, they're going to continue to do it. And once again, you look at Keenum's numbers, Zach, 31 of 48, 257 yards passing, two picks, a quarterback rating of 60.9. And it's kind of ironic because you saw him trying to push the ball down the field just like you heard his coaches saying, yeah, we want him to start being a little bit more aggressive, yada, yada, yada. Well, 
careful what you wish for because Case Keenum's second interception of the day is what actually led to the Browns winning this game, getting the points that ultimately were the deciding factor in getting that W. Yeah, I don't think teams still respect the Broncos' passing attack. Even with Keenum playing reasonably marginally better the last couple weeks, they're still stacking the box with Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman. And what I've noticed is that Lindsay really has struggled running between the tackles the last couple weeks. Defenses like the 49ers and the Browns tonight, they're doing a better job with gap control, gap assignment, tackling for sure. Uh, he had a couple you know, decent gains there, but uh, he's really struggling. Royce Freeman's not doing much. Devontae Booker is a better pass catcher. So the running game's kind of stuck in mud right now. And and when you lose Demarius Thomas, you lose Emmanuel Sanders. When you're starting Tim Patrick, I mean, and, and Deshaun Hamilton and, and Cortland Sutton, two rookies, teams are going to sell out, like you said, to stop the run. So I'm not too surprised, and it's definitely hurting the Broncos. There's definitely a correlation. They lost two games in a row, and their running game was stuck in mud for two weeks in a row. So I definitely think there's a, a connect to be made there. Yeah, and you got to put part of the onus on that for the offensive line. But at the same time, look, guys, I mean, it was a cool story for a couple weeks there. But these chickens came home to roost, losing uh, two Pro Bowl caliber players, Matt Paradis and Ronald Leary. Eventually, those chickens were going to come home to roost, and and they have the last two weeks. I mean, that interior trio has just been outclassed and outmatched with opposing teams making them the focus of their defensive attack. They're just, they're not ready for it. And I think part of it, it's a combination of things. It's the offensive line. It's the way teams are playing them. It's Phillip Lindsay kind of, hitting a little bit of a rookie wall maybe, and just also the Broncos having to face some hard facts in terms of utilization, how they're using him. And, you know, it's this is still a very new experiment as far as Philip Lindsay in the NFL. My concern, and I don't necessarily think this is the case, so before anyone, you know, panics here and hits a panic button, I'm not necessarily saying this is the case, but I worry that teams kind of have this thing figured out with Philip Lindsay. And so what that means is for the Denver Broncos, you have to adjust your game plan. And that's why I think they need to go back to that model that they established early on this season where Royce Freeman is a lot more involved early on in games. And then once you get into the flow of things, once things start opening up a little bit and teams start maybe playing on their heels a little bit more, getting into a lull, getting into a little bit of a rhythm, that's when you throw Lindsey in to just kind of shake it up and change the pace. That's when we've seen him really be the most electric and the most impactful on a you know pounds per, per square inch type of level. I literally said during the game that I think defenses are starting to figure Philip Lindsay out a little bit. I think the film is starting to catch up to him. And I see on Twitter, as I'm looking at my screen right now, he actually just said, they're going eight in the box. Y'all see it. Everybody is there. We've got to come up with different things. That comes down to me. That comes down to the whole offense. We've got to make plays. <laughs> so it's just literally lines up with what we were just saying. Uh, yeah, until that changes, until Case Keenum can get some of those defenders out of the box, I, I think he's going to continue to struggle. And I think it's over now that Saquon Barkley won offensive yeah. rookie the year i think that yeah, Lindsay gave it a good run and he had a hell of a season um but you know he had to hit that wall sometime and i think it's happened the last couple of weeks well and part of what he's saying there uh, on twitter is uh, and i don't think he's necessarily meaning to because that's not his style that's not his character but it's a let's just call it a freudian slip and a shot across mm-hmm. the bow of, of bill musgrave meaning that look you got to get more creative now like you had a good thing going you surprise the hell out of the NFL with this undrafted no-name Philip Lindsay, who's a very electric and phenomenal player on his own right. But this is the NFL. Teams eventually adjust. And when that happens, the onus then falls back onto the offensive coordinator from a design perspective 
to dig a little bit deeper and come up with some new looks in which to throw defenses back on their heels. And that just has not happened, Zach, the last two weeks. Yeah, just as teams don't respect Case Keenum under center, I don't think many opposing defensive coordinators fear Bill Musgrave. I just think the whole operation, there's not many players to feel on this Broncos offense, fear, excuse me, with Emmanuel Sanders gone. I just fill up Lindsey, and once you contain him, you're forcing Keenum to beat you, and I think most defenses with this injury-ruined and decimated uh, pass-catching core, they'll take that chance. So uh, until, like you said, until Musgrave schemes better because he's still inconsistent, way too inconsistent for my liking, until that changes, and I think it's too late now in the process, um, you're going to continue seeing everything that Philip Lindsay just mentioned. Because I agree with you. That was definitely a subtle shot at Musgrave. And, I mean, I really was rooting for Bill Musgrave. I was excited Me too. when the Broncos hired him as quarterback's coach. I was excited when he got promoted to OC. I was excited to see what he could do with Case Keenum. But he's been a catastrophic disappointment, especially down the stretch. I mean, how many times does Philip Lindsay need to be stopped on third and one until the coordinator goes, you know what, that's not a good high percentage call for me anymore. Like that that decision that led to the field goal decision from Vance Joseph that we hammered on earlier in the show, that was precipitated by Bill Musgrave making a terrible play call to go with that left toss outside to Philip Lindsay on third and one in right. the red zone. I mean, that was a situation where you needed to spread the field and find a soft spot in the zone and move the chains or pick up a touchdown for crying out loud. Philip Lindsay was not getting you anything all game long. And in the most crucial point, you're going to pitch it outside, not straight downhill dive. You're going to pitch it outside and just hope for the best. I mean, as soon as I saw that, that was the pitch was going to Lindsay. I mean, I didn't even have to look and see what was the way the defense was flowing downhill. <laughs> you already I mean, knew. I knew it, dude. I <laughs> knew that he was going to get stopped. It's just, and it's those type of if we if we can see it and it's obvious to us. I was just going to say that it has to. I mean, that's that's really the biggest indictment on a guy like Bill Musgrave, who I think is just to be frank with everybody, he's he's a really smart guy. He's well respected around the league. He was approaching head coach caliber candidate, but I think he's just really wilted under the pressure and the negative groundswell of momentum that has just permeated the Vance Joseph regime. Yeah, I, I liked, like, I agree with you. I liked the hire. I liked the promotion. I thought he was a huge upgrade on Mike McCoy. I thought he'd simplify things and he'd be a good fit with Case Keenum. And he started the year strong and he had some good concepts, but it's just been too inconsistent. It's been too pass heavy for the most part. I mean, too many uh, times of trying to make Keenum this franchise quarterback, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, not using Philip Lindsay enough, not getting the running game going. It, it, every single week, he tries to outsmart himself. He gets too cute. I mean, I think he's a good assistant coach, a good quarterback coach, but I don't think he's a great offensive coordinator. You know, I think it's just that's not his ceiling, and at least not with the Broncos. Yeah, They have to go in a different direction because it's just not working out. Oh, yeah. Well, for those of you listening who are smart enough to be Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports VIP subscribers, you guys got a little uh, insider tidbit, a little nugget today that we dropped on you from some information we picked up from – a source close to the Denver Broncos organization about just generally what uh, what these coaches can expect here in the coming weeks from a decision-making, from a career advancement perspective. We heard some things. Now, if you want to get in on that, take some time, go to the website. You'll see the green banner. 
you can we actually from a network perspective this is cool they just dropped the prices on VIP subscription uh, costs. So instead of it being, I think it was Zach, twelve ninety five a month to be a VIP or something like that, or you could get it cheaper if you go annual or whatever. They mm-hmm. dropped it right now. You can, if you go annual, you can get your membership for eight dollars ninety five cents a month, which not only gives you access to the MHH Insiders Board, which is where this information is coming from our staff, but it also gives you one hundred percent access to our Broncos film room. Also, especially going into the offseason where it's going to be draft and free agent heavy. I mean, we have the best reputation in the Broncos blogosphere for draft coverage and our connections in the scouting community, our connections with the draft community. And that's really when our VIP subscribers honestly get the most value out of their membership as far as information, knowledge uh, on the Denver Broncos is that time of year. So if you haven't, I encourage you now to take some time. Go sign up, pull the trigger. It's also the way that uh, we are able to sustain ourselves and feed ourselves and continue to bring you this coverage and content on a daily, on a weekly, around the clock. I mean, most of us, I don't, I don't know, speaking for Zach, but myself, I'm at a family Christmas party today. I'm watching the game. I'm also trying to do the family. I'm doing the live blog. I'm doing, I mean, it's, we, we sacrifice a lot. Well, yeah, sure. It's a passion. We love doing it. I mean, we're not complaining. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. But we do sacrifice a lot to bring you guys this coverage. And one of the ways you can support us is by becoming a VIP subscriber. So go check that out. There's some information there about what we've heard most recently about what the players did behind closed doors after the Niners game in which the coaches threw them under the bus, what happened with the front office, what the plan is with Vance Joseph. So go check that out. But meanwhile, Zach, we're going to do this, a short episode here tonight. We're going to try and come back to you. Possibly, I know we told you we were going to try and come back to you last week. We might be able to get another episode in before this coming weekend. But as we get into week 16, the Broncos are playing on Christmas Eve. So this might be our last chance to get to the Mile High Mailbag, get some of your questions, allow you to exercise some of your demons. So let's do it because each and every week, Zach and I, we are your football priests. We're here to offer you that absolution, the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And as after a game like tonight, you got to exercise those demons. So let's see what you got here in the mailbag. This comes from, from Jedi Joshua 58. He says, yeah, I've pretty much closed the door on Vance Joseph. I expect him to be gone this summer while there has been improvement. There's just too many inconsistencies. I feel like Elway moves on from this staff. But he keeps the special teams coach, Zach. If there's anyone on the staff, with the exception of Bill Kohler, I, I want Tom McMahon to stay. I think the special teams has been by far the most improved unit this season. He's done a hell of a job and really made Brock Olivo look worse than he actually was. Uh, but yeah, the most likely outcome is at season's end or a few days after the new year, Elway will hold a press conference announcing that he and Vance Joseph are going their separate ways. And when they're bringing a new head coach, that new head coach brings in his own staff, so a large portion of the Broncos' current coaching staff will be gone with Vance Joseph. But I agree, if there's one coach I want to return, it's definitely McMahon. Three other guys that I want the Broncos to try and hold on to. One is Curtis Modkins, the running backs coach, who has been a phenomenal upgrade after Eric Studisville really got stagnant. You've seen the impact Modkins has had with that young running back group. Even Devontae Booker looks like an improved player. And you got Lindsey and Royce Freeman. So I hope we can maybe figure out a way to for the Broncos to hold on to Modkins. And then the other guy I want them to keep at least is Zach Azani, who's the wide receivers coach. But a lot of that's going to be contingent on what the incoming regime wants. So that'll be determined here down the road. 
Here's one from Daryl Hyde on Twitter, at DRock7727. The players need to know we got their backs in Broncos country. I'm stationed in New England, and I'd give anything to see another Broncos home game. I can't believe any true fan would fail to show up and cheer if they could. And I think what Daryl's getting at there in response to some of the other comments was the fact that there seemed to be a lot of fans, a lot of empty seats in Mile High tonight. And then also, Zach, surprisingly, I mean, we're talking about the Cleveland Browns here who didn't even win a freaking game last year. There seemed to be a lot of Cleveland Browns orange in the stands, surprisingly. I was shocked. I was watching NFL Network postgame coverage, and there were Browns fans cheering Steelers suck while Baker Mayfield, victorious, was being interviewed by NFL Network in Denver. It just was super weird to me. I, I, I like the fandom, and I like the enthusiasm, but I can understand why some fans are want to throw in the towel, and they're very angry right now. I mean, this is not the standard that Pat Boland set. This is not the standard that Elway set. This is not the Broncos. This is a shell of their former selves, and I understand the fans— wanting change it was stagnant last year they gave it one more chance it hasn't worked out i mean uh, not for long in the nfl so i I get the the you know the frustration for sure and and they're going to say some emotional things right now and until there's stability um you're going to hear some of those things on twitter and elsewhere yeah this one comes from sean bear on twitter he says if the broncos win one of the last two games especially the la game in week 17 combined with the injuries the team has suffered It'll secure Vance Joseph a third year. And this is something, just to serve this up to you, Zach, that at this point I quintessentially absolutely disagree with. Vance Joseph had maybe a shot to keep his job if he could win these final three games. But after that loss to the Niners, to back it up with a loss at home to the Browns, he's done. The loss to the Niners kind of – Cocked Elway's head to the situation, kind of raised his eyebrow, and I think tonight was just the the final uh, the final nail in his coffin. There, there's no way to bring him back now. Even if they finished nine and seven and they ended on on an upswing and they didn't make the playoffs, there was a chance he'd come back. And it, you can at least sell a winning record, but how could you sell literal mediocrity, eight and eight or seven and nine? I mean, you can't do it. I mean, I think he's gone at year's end, and I'm sticking with that. Yep. This one comes from Tanner Lee. He's kind of getting the exercising the demons and then asking a question. And he says, don't let the door hit you on your way out, Vance. And then he asks, who do you guys see as a potential head coaching candidates for the Broncos? And one thing uh, before I serve this up to you is, you know, I've written a, a few articles on this topic in the last two months. We'll call it a football. And if John Harbaugh and all signs at this point point to him staying with the Baltimore Ravens, but if John Harbaugh hits the market, that would be my number one candidate for Denver. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to go for a coaching retread. So, in other words, someone who has maybe been a head coach elsewhere, like a Jim Schwartz maybe, who needs another opportunity to go out and prove himself. Because that's been the most successful coaches in Broncos history have been coaches who are on their second go-round as a head coach. So I think that's more of the model after giving it a whirl with a young guy on his first opportunity with Vance didn't work out with the same with Josh McDaniels. You're going to see John Elway and that brain trust, I think, Zach, go back to a more established, proven model, even if it's a relatively unsexy name like a Jim Schwartz, the former Detroit Lions head coach who now is the defense coordinator in Philly. It might not totally excite the fans, but it'll send the message that, look, we got a competent adult back at the table that can you know, take the reins, take control, bring stability back. And if they don't go with that model, Zach, my number one choice would be Dave Tobe. 
I'm with you in the sense that I think the Broncos will, after failing epically with a first-timer or a very inexperienced guy, they're going to go more toward a veteran. And if there's a retread out there, I want, I'm with you, I want John Harbaugh. I do not want Mike McCarthy, though. That's a popular name linked to the Broncos, considering he's, you know, accomplished and won a Super Bowl. But it, it, like I said, if he can't win with Aaron Rodgers, what can he do with Case Keenum? So I don't want him. I want John Harbaugh. I want a veteran, Dave Taub, uh, Jim Schwartz, or at least at the bare minimum, a coordinator who at least has a proven resume uh, with a, a, you know, a good reputation around the NFL, like a, a John D. Filippo before he got fired, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, someone like that. So I think they'll go with a, definitely an offensive of mind but if they go for a veteran i want john harbaugh well and that's just another quick uh shout out to go check out becoming a vip because we do have some information on what and specifically who the broncos like right now as candidates to replace vance joseph so if you want to know a couple weeks ahead of time go subscribe and, and you'll know just like we do next question here comes from ruan pablo he says with all the penalties and difficulties to cover the tight end do you guys expect safety to become the top priority in the first round of the draft in front of cornerback or even off-ball linebacker? Then he gives us a shout-out from Brazil. Always listen to you guys. Love the show. Thanks, Ruan. Appreciate you, dog. Thanks for listening. Your your answer there for Ruan here on whether or not the Broncos will use their first-round pick on a safety. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the support. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. Um, I wouldn't put safety above corner, even though you, you saw tonight that they deactivated Sua Cravens for DeMonte Thomas. Thomas had that pick. He's a good, young, developmental prospect, but they really need a locked-in starter opposite Justin Simmons, who's playing cornerback now. Uh, Darian Stewart should be a cap casualty. He'll be gone. But Will Parks, to me, uh, him, him, DeMonte Thomas, those are young guys you can at least get by if you get a locked-in starter opposite Justin Simmons. I wouldn't say it's a first-round need, but it's definitely a priority. Uh, Cornerback, quarterback, offensive line have to be the top three priorities in round one. I do not disagree. This one comes from Aquaman. It's a little bit more of a uh, big-picture macro type of question here, but he says, with the lawsuit, the fact that Joe Ellis still hasn't sold naming rights and the things like the food and the health department report, does this show such a lack of management that it's time to really talk about selling the team? Such a mistake, big and small, would never have happened under Pat Bolin. Now, I don't want to spend too much time going down this road because we could literally talk for hours about all the legal stuff going on with the Broncos' ownership, but uh, let's just kind of boil it down, Zach, from a overall direction of the team. Do you question the Joe Ellis's? I mean, let's face it, John Elway's a president now of the team. He's a president of football operations. Do you question the direction or the capability and in, in, uh, competence of that trust and then of course the leadership directly under them like John Elway to turn the ship around obviously at a very critical point in which this the Broncos are now poised to miss the playoffs for the third straight year. I think it's tough not having a check to Elway's balance, not having a true owner in the picture, and John Elway pretty much runs the franchise. He's pretty much the owner, I mean, and the president. He, he's, his job security is probably the best in the NFL. Um, I don't doubt it, and I'm not saying that he should be fired, but he, Elway definitely deserves criticism for how the Broncos have fared the last couple of years. I mean, it, it also falls at his feet because he bought the groceries, he stocked the cupboard, and all his coaches did, including Vance Joseph, were the ones that cooked the meal. And he brought also brought in the players. So um, I don't doubt it, and I think he could still get it on the right track, but there's certainly blame to go around. He's not going to get fired, but he should definitely be looked at under a more uh, clearer microscope after the last couple of years. And here, here's what I'll say to 
give guys out there listening a little bit more of a streak of optimism in the leadership at the top for the Denver Broncos is that I can promise you right now that nobody wants to win more and turn this thing around in the world than John Elway. Now, we can debate the merits and and, uh, wherewithal as to whether or not he has the means to turn the ship around, but I think his past track record shows that he he understands the model, and if anything, he erred in deviating from that model in what has brought the most results and success for the Broncos traditionally. And really, you know, you can boil down the, the situation the Broncos are in right now, you can boil it down to three primary bad decisions on Elway's part. First of all, Vance Joseph. Uh, well, actually, first of all, it came Paxton Lynch in the first round. Then from a chronological perspective, Vance Joseph and then letting Wade Phillips go. Those are the three things right now that have really cost the Denver Broncos and all we can hope at this point, because guys don't fire themselves. Jo- John Elway, Joe Ellis, they're not going to fire themselves. So until and unless some kind of, a judge comes in or the NFL weighs in and changes things, the trust is going to continue to operate this team. And so long as they do, John Elway's job is safe. So we move on here. Dion Hicks, he says, time to start talking top coaching candidates. The Broncos are being outcoached every single week, Zach. Uh, top coaching candidates? Well, let's, we already kind of touched on that. The yeah. idea that the Broncos, I mean, you have a lame duck interim head coach in Greg Williams out coaching Vance Joseph. I, it just it just shows his inability and his incompetence. I mean, he's been out coached by everyone. He's been out coached by Todd Bowles. He's been out coached by Kyle Shanahan. Uh, they play down to the level of their competition. That's why they they got routed by the Jets. They they lost to the Niners. They lost to the Browns. And that's an earmark of coaching. It stems, like I said, from leadership. And the crap does roll downhill. Yeah, this one comes from Ronald Newman. With the way our young receivers have been playing, do you think Emmanuel Sanders has played his last snap in Denver? Uh, it's conditional to me. If He has injury guarantees in his contract. and Depending on when those kick in, that would determine what they want to do with him. But he is getting older, and that Achilles injury, it's going to sap a lot of his explosion. He's going to be 31. He's not going to be ready to play until we, you know, sometime in the middle of next season or even later than that. I could definitely see the Broncos moving on, but they're going to have to get a veteran receiver in that room. They can't just have young players. So if they yeah. get a veteran in free agency or they trade for one, then I think they're at least Sanders. If they don't, they might keep him around. Yeah, and a lot of that will depend also on how he responds and, and recovers from his surgery to repair the Achilles. And I'll just tell you from my own experience, I mean, I'm not exactly an elite athlete, and I don't have access to state-of-the-art um, you know, forms of medical care and, and rehab and all that like these players do. But once you get over 30, man, you just don't heal the same way as you used to. It just takes right. longer. And Peyton Manning talked a lot about that, you know, with his plantar fascia tear that last year in Denver and those issues. You just take longer to heal. And if that's the case, I could if, if he struggles at all to bounce back, you know, and you're looking at the deadlines to make salary cap type of, of decisions – It'll be March where you really got to watch where the rubber meets the road with regard to the Broncos and Emmanuel Sanders. Now, here's one that comes from Dylan. Let's move through these ones rapid fire here, Zach. This one comes from Dylan Von Arks on Twitter. Keenum can't carry this team on his back, as we've learned. So, is there any quarterbacks worth taking this year? I assume he means in the draft, obviously. It's a super weak class. Even if Justin Herbert does declare and he's probably the number one consensus quarterback, it's a weak class. It's not the year to get a franchise guy. In my opinion, it's a year to get a, a good developmental guy like a Paxton Lynch, let's say. Not Maybe not to that extent, but, not uh, you first know, rounder. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get, you know, Drew Locke or Will Greer in the second, third round guys like that. But I think the quarterback to get, and we've talked about this a couple times now, is uh, Tua next year. That's the franchise guy to me. But there's no can't miss generational Andrew Luck type talent in this year's draft. If they go for a quarterback, I, I would not want them to spend a first round pick on a player not named Justin Herbert. And even then, if they have to move up to, for them, for uh, Herbert, I would yeah. not mortgage the future at all. So uh, not a good quarterback class. Yeah, and again, I can, I encourage you to continue listening and, and reading the website because we are going to be turning our attention now toward the twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen draft, excuse me, even more so. And nobody does Broncos draft like milehighhuddle.com. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, the Broncos are gonna draft a quarterback. From here on out until they find the guy, they're gonna be drafting quarterbacks. It's just a question of where. And what Zach said, at least what we know right now is 100% true and that this is not the year that you can go into the draft counting on being able to land a franchise caliber player. Now, this one here comes from Juvandi Gordon on Twitter. He says, it's inexcusable to not play Sua Cravens and Shane Ray with Isaac Yadam and Shaquille Barrett being out with injuries in my eyes. Vance wanted to lose that game. I'm so sick of him and his staff. Inconsistent, undisciplined, and downright horrible. See, I take the opposite mindset that I think Vance was so desperate and he was feeling the flames of his hot seat that he tried anything to shake up the team in the lineup. And to his credit, he actually made two good decisions because they activated Jeff Holland for the pass rushing snaps and he had a sack and a couple pressures. Good player there. Better than Shane Ray already, in my opinion. And Demonte Thomas, who was playing for Cravens, had a pick. So um, I look at it like he was super desperate, but to his credit, those lineup changes actually worked. Yeah. What more is my question. What more does DeMonte Thomas have to do to prove he belongs <laughs> on the freaking field? I mean, all the dude does is make is plays. Ball. So hopefully that uh, serves as a little bit of a lesson for the Broncos and in the coaching staff, at least that comes next in terms of, you know, look, you got to, you got to play DeMonte Thomas. The dude just has a knack for making plays. Now one more, and then we got to get out of here tonight. Cause it's getting late for, for Zach and I, This question comes from Dave on Twitter. I promised you I'd address it on the podcast. Um, He says, it's at Scord83. He says, Chad, you wrote an article praising Vance two weeks ago. Do you still stand by that? And then his comment is, he may actually be a good coach. The issue could merely be that he doesn't know simple math and and when the score and field position indicate that he should kick a field goal or go for it. So, what he's referencing, those of you who missed it, we've talked about it on the show now multiple times, but just to roll it back a little bit, while the Broncos had were in the midst of that three-game winning streak, and let's not forget, they beat two very good teams in the Chargers in their house and then home and beat the Steelers, both of whom were on phenomenal winning streaks. I mean, for the Broncos who, coming out of the bye, were sitting at three and six, for Vance Joseph to win either of those two games – seriously was an accomplishment that you got to tip your hat to him because there was just such a negative groundswell of momentum going against him just out everything that he had been through as a head coach no success I mean to start three and six both years as the Broncos head coach I mean he just had everything going against him and then for him to stick his foot in the dirt Zach and pivot this team and kind of will them up by the bootstraps to go on the road and beat the Chargers and then beat the Steelers, and then win one more on the road in the Cincinnati Bengals, it was a phenomenal accomplishment. And at that point, I mean, it you had to give him credit. And that's what I was doing at the time, which is that, look, when a guy does something good and things are going well, you tip your cap to him. Now, one thing I did not do 
when I was praising him back then was make any kind of far-sweeping, like, look, this proves the Broncos need to keep him throughout the duration of his contract. I never said anything like that because there was way too much more information that needed to, to come into this equation before you could even remotely make any kind of determination like that. And that information has now come, come through, right? We know a lot more even than we did just two weeks ago. And I think a lot of it has to do with why did the Broncos go from winning three games against two of which were great teams to losing to two subpar teams like the Niners and the Browns. One of the reasons why, I mean, we can point to the foibles of Vance Joseph and his coaches, which we've touched on plenty, I think, in today's episode, but also the fact that injuries have taken their toll. I mean, you just don't survive often. It's one thing we talked about all NFL teams suffer injuries by this point in the season, right, in December. Mm -hmm. No one is immune from it. But most teams can't survive the loss of four Pro Bowl caliber players. They just can't, especially a young team with no franchise caliber quarterback. You don't survive losing Matt Paradis, Ron Leary, Emmanuel Sanders, and then Chris Harris Jr. So those things caught up to him. Uh, It's not all Vance's fault that he's going to end up getting fired in Denver, and he did deserve credit for winning those three games. But at the end of the day, all of his limitations stacked up. Zach became apparent he was one of the primary reasons, he and his coaches, why the Broncos lost two games these last two weeks that, frankly, any team that is competent and worth its salt, especially in December, should not be losing. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that injuries didn't hurt the Broncos and there wasn't a lot to overcome. I mean, the fact that they were even competitive, let alone won games despite losing so many players and so many key positions, it's 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 worthy of, uh, of praise. It really is. And I give Joseph credit. I, I agree with that logic, but I got to be consistent and say the Broncos won in spite of Vance Joseph, not because of him over those three games. He still was the same guy. And like I said, they played down to the level of their competition. And that's what you've seen the last two weeks. The the lipstick came off the pig. It, all it did was just cover up and mask those critical, irreparable life, you know, career-threatening qualities that he has. And it came off the last couple of weeks, and he hasn't changed. So you know, that's my take on that. So here's what I'll say for those of you listening. Everyone is going to be in a super crappy mood. Don't let it ruin your holiday season. I mean, we knew this thing. You, sometimes you got to call a spade a spade. And when the Broncos lost to the Niners, I mean, the writing was on the wall that this season was probably <clears throat> not going to pan out as far as a playoff push. So now what I suggest everyone do, aside from enjoying your holiday season, is – Start setting your sights along with us. That's what we're going to be doing with our website and on the podcast. Start setting your sights toward 2019 because this draft class is going to offer the Denver Broncos another opportunity to stack a class on top of this phenomenal 2018 group. They're going to get the chance to do that because that's what it's going to take. I mean, yeah, you're going to need to hire the right coaches. Yeah, you're going to need to solve the quarterback issue. But you're going to need to, to stack a couple of draft classes like the Broncos did in 2011 and 2012 in order for this thing to really take an organic turnaround. And so that's what we're going to be taking our focus, moving our focus toward. I mean, obviously, we've got to cover these remaining two games. We're going to do that. We're going to cover what happens with Vance Joseph and all that. But we're really going to start focusing on the free agent situation next year, the draft. And, Zach, it's still a lot to get excited about. I mean, for us – Football is a 24-7, 365 proposition. We eat and sleep this thing, and that's not going to change because the Broncos lost to the Browns. 
Yeah, guys, listen, at the end of the day, it's just a game. It's just entertainment. It's not worth you know ruining your, your holiday, ruining your life over. It's disappointing season, yeah, but there's so much to look forward to, like Chad said. And the Broncos have a phenomenal young nucleus of talent, which is already exciting, and you've seen it this year. But look what's coming up. You're going to see new coaching search. That's always exciting. You have the combine coming up. You have free agency coming up. You have the draft coming up in just a few months now. So there's exciting things to come. And like Chad said, they're going to put, a, hopefully, with Elway and, and Gary Kubiak saying they're going to put a good draft class on top of a, a grand slam of a draft class they had this year. And with a better coach, this could be a playoff team. They're not that far removed from contention. They're not this bottom dweller. They're going to get back relatively up the mountain. It's just with the better coaching staff and a, a couple different players in certain positions, uh, they'll be all right. That's right. So keep your chin up. If we don't talk to you between now and then, everybody have a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. If we, uh, We'll try and get back to you maybe later on this week. We'll see how how it shapes up. But there might not be reason to do so, to be honest with you. Not a lot's going to happen between tonight and the Denver Broncos Monday night football throwdown on Christmas Eve with the Raiders. So if that does end up being the case, you'll hear from us next Wednesday. Uh, Not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, which is the day after Christmas. And so we'll come back. We'll react to the Raiders game. We'll react to whatever the latest buzz is on the coaching situation. And then Zach and I will also drop and share with you some really exciting news and announcement as it relates to the Huddle Up podcast. So stay tuned for that. Keep your chin up. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Hey, by the way, real quick, I know that would have been a smooth outro. We would have been out. But you guys, I forgot to mention this all episode long. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at Huddle Up Pod, so you can get in on the on the gut reaction, Mile High Mailbag, each and every week. Also, you got to be following Zach on Twitter, at Kellerman247. You can find me on Twitter, at Chad and Jensen. So take care of that business. Leave a, a creative review. Rate the show. Make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Zach Kellerman, I'm Chad Jensen. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Introducing Force Factor Fundamentals. Exclusively at the Vitamin Shop, these men's health essentials have clinically studied ingredients like biopurine for enhanced absorption. Yohimbine, pine bark, and L-arginine can help you strengthen blood flow and heighten passion with doses that may bring you the results you crave. Now you can save 20% on Force Factor, including the fundamentals at The Vitamin Shop. Get these men's health game changers in your life at any The Vitamin Shop store or vitaminshop.com. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.